Would you say that your mushroom trip was a turning point for you? Big time. Big time. So I went out there and I did this journey and we actually tried mushrooms, but I was on Wellbutrin and Wellbutrin blocks mushrooms completely. So I did five grams of mushrooms and I didn't feel, I threw up and then I didn't do anything. I went to bed. I was like, this is stupid. I don't feel a single thing. Welcome to another episode of Ambitious. In this episode, I interview a woman named Teresa. She was in and out of rehab for a long time in her life. She struggled with meth addiction. She opens up and gets vulnerable about that, how she overcame it. None of this is medical advice. Neither of us are doctors, obviously. So open up your hearts, your minds, your ears, and enjoy. That's what I've been dealing with a lot lately is allowing myself to be vulnerable. Like I've realized I've, I, I became such this hard-hearted person, like just a hard shell because, because I didn't care about myself really because I didn't love myself and so I would just treat myself so horribly and then I would treat everybody around me so horribly because I was miserable you know you probably have a pretty intense inner critic so intense (laughs) and and this year has been strictly working on that critic because we get to train that critic to say what we want it to say you know what I mean and it can be good or it can be bad and we're always going to have that other side of us that's you know the little nitpicker, yeah. but we almost like, you have to have the good with the bad. You know, if we didn't have bad, we wouldn't know what good was. Yeah. It's all balance. It's balance. And that is my biggest issue is balance. I can't balance anything like <laughs> the, yeah. I'm very, I'm very ADHD, Same. but my addiction is uppers and, and it probably has to do with the fact that I'm ADHD. Like I found like Adderall to be very helpful to me, but since I'm an addict, I can't just take it. I have to abuse it. You know, Mm, it was never just one or two. It was like, if I wasn't feeling a high, then I had to take more. And so it was, it was a ridiculous amount by the, by the end of it, you know, but, um, but it was all, it was all just to get me up and moving and get going. But what people don't understand is like the drugs. I mean, there's, it's a disease because it causes permanent damage, you know? Yeah. But, and, and that's a big issue that people always have an issue with is whether addiction is a disease or not. But if you do the research, you know, it shows that it's a disease because some people have like uh, more of a likelihood that they'll be an addict, right? Than other people. It's actually in your DNA. Like I found out in treatment, I don't want to quote percentages, but it was in the 60 percentile. Like it's 60% in your DNA. Like Hmm. we're born with it and it doesn't necessarily hit every every generation like my mom and dad well you know everybody's an addict in their own way like my mom and dad weren't alcohol and drug addicts but they were food addicts you know yeah like a lot of the lds culture are food addicts because they have to keep the word wisdom do you know what i mean exactly or they just chug coke Diet Coke, but no coffee. Like driving around here in Utah, there's like oh all the gosh. all these uh, like swig and, and so delicious. It's like their it's like their fix every day. Yeah, because they like, can't drink coffee or uh, alcohol or smoke, so they just like chug soda. Yeah, like that's so much better for you. Or eat just crap food, you know, yeah. just like yeah, just destroying their kidneys. It's all it's all it's all about unhealthy unhealthiness in our own selves, really. Like. I did not think that I grew up feeling unworthy or unloved. I didn't think I did, you know, but then, and I feel like for a a good portion of my childhood, I was loved. We were loved. 
it was a it was a rough home life when my mom and dad were married. It, there was a you know I don't remember a ton of it, but towards the end there was a lot of fighting and you know yeah. normal married stuff. And if you're not constantly working on your marriage and constantly working on yourself, then things are always going to start going downhill. Right. You know. Are uh, you the oldest? Oh no, um, I am the third from youngest. Gotcha. So David's the youngest, and then Marin. And then we had a sister that passed away, and she would be in between me and Marin. And then me, and then Susan, my sister in Wyoming. And then <clears throat> Hiram, and then Rachel and Elizabeth. Gotcha. So there's a lot of them. I don't know if I've met everyone. I don't know if you have either. I don't even know if you've... Yeah. So that, how many is that? Six? There's seven total, eight with Cindy. Gotcha. With the one that passed wow, away. Big family. <clears throat> yeah, it was. It was. My dad's motto was multiply and replenish the earth. That's every Mormon's motto. <laughs> Just keep them coming. Just yeah. keep them coming. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Ellie George with HomeQuest Realty. If you're in the market for a home in Southern Oregon or thinking of selling your home, I've been working with Ellie George with her marketing and can testify that she is a true pro in the industry. She has an amazing passion for real estate. She's been practicing for over 16 years, sells over 120 homes a year, which is absolutely nuts compared to the average agent only selling about eight. (laughs) When it comes to marketing, I've seen her go the extra mile to make sure her homes stand out and capture eyes nationwide and to net the sellers way more money in the end. She and I work together a lot on her higher end homes, creating videos that beautifully and thoroughly showcase the spaces, and I've absolutely loved working with her. Mention the Ambitious Podcast and get a no-cost, low-pressure consultation. She'll help you with your real estate portfolio, whether it's your first home, investment, move up, or you just want to be constantly aware of your equity position. She's definitely who I would trust for my real estate advisor. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Ammon Clough Creative. Ammon Clough Creative is a business specializing in photography, videography, podcasting, education, and content creation. Services include weddings, small business landing videos, corporate video and photography work, podcast production, product photography, brand exposure, one-on-one and group workshops, and photo shoots in almost any capacity, such as outdoor or indoor, family, couples, or single-person photo shoots. For more information, go to ammonclough.com or check out ammonclough on Instagram at ammonclough. But, yeah, so when I was 12 is when when most of the shit went, you know, when, divor- when the well, divorce you, happened. You said, before we started the podcast, you said that you started smoking cigarettes when you were 8 years old? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I was kind of a little... But you were raised LDS. Yeah. So... 8 years old. Honestly, I was... I really believe that the more that you force on kids to not do something, the more they're going to want to do. For mm. me, at least. Yeah, the Mormon I mean, the religion rebellious. is so strict, and they are like so, yeah. like, do not, you know, the word of wisdom, this, this, this. And they want to try so hard to control their kids mm-hmm. from ever doing anything bad that they just put so much, like... They just shelter them, you know, like we were sh- so sheltered so that when I got divorced at 24 and was introduced to like drugs and stuff, I was completely oblivious to what methamphetamines were like mm. at 24, you know, Yeah. and just having the whole, I had an older sister, Rachel, none of this is her fault by any means, but she was five years older and I love tagging along with her everywhere she'd go. And mm. so, you know, she was messing around with cigarettes at 13. And 
I was hanging out with her, so she'd give them to me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it wasn't a constant thing, but it was, it was just what we did for fun. And sure. she'd have me go down to the Lovell drugstore and steal cig- cartons of cigarettes because they had them just like right underneath the registers on the outside at that time. It wasn't a big deal. They oh, were wow. like on the, on the rows, you know, just yeah. cartons of cigarettes. So I'd go wow. steal them and I got caught stealing from the grocery store and I had to go like clean to make up for it. And like, I never told that it was Rachel cause she would have kicked my butt. Sorry, Rachel. Don't ever <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, taking the fall. Well, she, yeah, I feel like she was the, the, the scapegoat for our family for everything. She was always oh, gotcha. getting in trouble for everything and mm-hmm. the rebellious one. And so, yeah, I just felt like I would have gotten in a lot less trouble than she would have gotten into, you know, I see. but yeah. So when you were 12 was when your parents got divorced. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got, they got divorced when I was 12. When I was 10, this, this plays into my unworthiness as a human being and why I turned to addiction. So <clears throat> I didn't realize it, but when I was eight years old, eight, no, nine, 10, it was 10. <laughs> I'm getting all my numbers confused. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. So yeah, 10, I got, I almost, I did, I did drown. We were, we were out swimming in a canal in Lovell and I was out with my friends' family, which I always hung out with them. We moved from California to Wyoming with them. It was just like a very, very close family friend, the mm-hmm. Pratts. And we were out swimming and we would always go down this little waterfall. It was like a four foot waterfall is all, but you had to go down head first and, or else if you didn't want to go down the waterfall, you could just climb the ladder and get out. Well, my friend was trying to get out and so I couldn't grab the ladder and so I start going down but it was like more like foot first Mm -hmm. and there was these wood slats over here on the side and I went down foot first and my foot got stuck in it and so I was stuck under the current and nobody saw me like nobody knew I was stuck under there and I was stuck just so I could see everybody else walking around just nothing like Uh and I'm just like sitting there like hello I'm I'm about to die yeah and I literally remember thinking holy shit I'm gonna die and then I passed out and the next thing I know, I'm like hacking up water. Like I, I guess somebody finally saw my foot and they got me out, but I was just, I was blue as a Smurf. Wow. And, um, I don't remember much about that except for that my sister Rachel screaming all the way to the emergency room to wake up, Teresa, wake up. Cause I just wanted to go back to sleep. It was just like so peaceful, you know, but, um, that so was it's true. Drowning is very peaceful. It is. <laughs> I mean, there's like a, she- there's sheer panic for like. Right. When you kind of comprehend what's happening to yeah, you, you're like powerless. Probably only 30 seconds, but I think I was under there almost three minutes, they said. Oh, wow. Well, is what they what they kind of gathered. From the time Barbara got out, she was already walking around, had started walking over to the other side of the... Because we'd always walk across the highway, jump yeah. in the canal, go underneath, and she was already walking back over there. It was just... Yeah. Anyway, and... The same, the, the very same family, same birth, same friend, the very next summer, we were out camping for a birthday party and I got bit by a rattlesnake and we didn't have Jeez. an adult up there with us. It was just her oldest brother that had just gotten off a mission and we didn't even have a car. So he was like, oh, you probably just got stuck by a Canadian thistle bush because it was dark and we were playing hide and seek. I didn't know what happened. I just Canadian felt like a really thistle. bad and I had to like sit down and there was only one mark. So I was like, oh. I don't know what it is. And so he was like, it's probably just a Canadian thistle bush. I just got back from my mission in Canada. I don't know why I remember that so vividly, but I do. Cause I was like, 
okay, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, sure. You Why know? not trust him? I'm 12, 11. <laughs> Anyways, so they just kept playing and I just had to, I couldn't even stand up. So through the night, every time I would wake up in pain, my, my friend would just like rub my leg until I could go back to sleep, you know? She was just like going like this. I don't know if that, I don't know. Anyways, and then like at about five o'clock in the morning, I wake up again and I'm like, I like hurt so bad and she went to touch it and it was excruciating pain and mm. so like I turned on my flashlight and my leg was black like all the way up to there like it was purple Jeez. all the way up to there like it was dying almost man those like, Canadian thorn bushes yeah are- those are poisonous <laughs> shit man stay the fuck away from them <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh. so anyway yeah so it's a so it's a rattlesnake yeah so wait so how does that play into your not feeling worthy because when I was in treatment, I had a, I had the director was like trying to figure out why I, cause I'm very, 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 the inner critic, the inner critic. I'm mm. so hard on myself. Like I'm so mean to myself. I can't ever do anything good enough, you know? And so he was trying to figure out where that stemmed from, like where, cause eventually, I mean, something has to happen for you to start feeling that way. Right. Like, yeah. you know, some type of trauma or whatever. And, yeah. and it was just the thought that my mom and dad were never anywhere near those life all like life and death experiences of mine Mm -hmm. and even in my mind after we went to the er like i don't ever remember my parents being there i remember an incident with my rattlesnake bite where my mom and dad were divorced at this point so it was when i was 12 and my mom wanted to go to a singles dance and my dad was supposed to come from thermopolis to sit with me because i was 12 years old all by myself in the hospital and my dad couldn't make it and my mom really wanted to go to the singles dance, so she left me there alone. And I just remember feeling so, like, crushed that my mom abandoned me, you know? That's yeah. the memories I remember of my mom and dad. Yeah. So wow. ha- not having my parents there when I had those, like, really traumatic experiences, uh, you know, just gave me a sense of I'm not enough. Not good you know? enough. Plus, coming from a big family, it's really hard to feel You're like— just a number. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. And especially when you have so many kids, like I only have five kids. And by the time only? my, <laughs> so many. well, I mean, compared to the seven that my mom has, and by the time my last two were like 10, I was like, I'm tired. Yeah. I don't want to, I, it's not that I don't want to be a mom anymore, but like, I'm tired. Like I want these kids to start taking care of me now. And so I, I know that by the time my dad left her, she was done being a parent. She really was. In fact, she yeah. even admitted to me last year, she apologized to me. She said, sorry that I okayed you to get married to Cody as 16 years old because I was honestly just trying to get Shut you out down. of the house. Oh, wow. Yeah, because she didn't want to have to take care of me anymore. Right. I was a shithead. <laughs> I was such a bad kid. Like, I was always running away. I was. I just wanted attention. I just wanted somebody to show that they fucking cared about me, right. that they loved me, that they were going to stick around even if I did this, this, and this. Mm. And nobody, you know, I don't ever feel like every, anybody ever did. You know, like when I was 13, I, me and my sister Susan almost ran away to California with some Mexicans that were 24. (laughs) No way. I was 13. She was 15. We were going to literally run away to California with them. Like who does that? Who's who, who who even thinks that somebody in desperate need of attention, desperate need of male attention. And so my mom found us and, um, (laughs) we were hiding in some attic. I mean, we were, it was crazy. My mom found us and she called she took me into like the dcfs office or whatever and she was like i don't know what to do because she's gonna run away if i take her back home because she'd already tried to lock me up like five times and i the second she turned her back i was gone and so they were like well 
we can put her in a group home tonight. And I was like, seriously, mom, you're going to put me in a group home? Like I was mortified. Like you're going to give up on me basically is what I heard. And so I was like, all right. And then from then on, I just became like a, like just a hard shell. Like, like nobody's going to take care of me if my mom and dad aren't going to take care of me. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to have to take care of myself. Right. But yet I always still had somebody else taking care of me. When was your introduction to, I guess, when, when did your journey begin with drugs? You said uppers were kind of your thing, which I, I relate to that mm -hmm. because I have ADHD as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have just recently started treatment with Adderall mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's very difficult. I've talked about it on the podcast a number of times, so I, um, I don't want to bore the listeners again, but yeah, it's, it's been a rough journey. It's hard to find the balance, the dose, the time of day that's best, what not to mix it with like alcohol, how it makes me irritable the next day, how it affects my relationship. How does it affect your like ego? Like what I feel like amphetamines do it's kind of like robs the soul. Like it takes away the soul for me, for me, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say for everybody, but for me, and it was because I abused it, but it took away that part of me that was like, I don't know how to explain it. That, that super innocent part of me, like it, it made my ego just flare up. It does make the ego kind of flare up, but I feel like more confident. I feel like I'm able to listen better. I feel like I'm just, clearer in my head, more focused, a bit more energy, but I haven't really abused it. I try to, I'm, I'm really like aware of of the risk and the side effects. And I've done a lot of research and I'm, so I'm trying to be very careful. I have a therapist that I work really closely with and my physician that I talk to regularly and yeah. So, but I feel the ego thing for sure. It's a catch 22 because like for me still, like I can't be medicated. So I am like a struggling ADHD recovering addict. So I can't, like there's nothing for me anymore. You know, like there's nothing that I can do. That's why I have a medical card because that is the only thing that keeps me sane. Like I'm not even kidding you. I would, I used to feel so, so guilty. Okay. So what got me, what my introduction to drugs was actually I mean, I smoked weed when I was 13, 14 and maybe drank a little bit. Um, And then I got married when I was 16. So I didn't really have any, I did get pregnant at 15 and I gave that baby up for adoption. I do have a great relationship with him right now, but that's just a little side note. Anyway. um, Such a cool life. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So three months after I gave birth to him, actually, four months after I gave birth to him, I actually ended up getting married, but I placed him for adoption so I could go on about my life and go go back to school and do all these things for myself. Mm, Yeah. And then I ended up getting married four months later. So when you were 16. Yeah. Wow. And then, I mean, I didn't have a baby for another two or three years, but like having a baby at 15, I felt like I was an adult. Like I felt like that just matured you, especially having to give it, give the baby up for adoption. Yeah, totally. That, that was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Really makes you have to grow the fuck up and grow up real fast. I mean, I'm just assuming a crazy gamut of emotions. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I... I mean, the emotions that I had over that experience, I feel like matured me like, like I should have, like would have been a 45 year old experience. You know what I mean? Like something that a child shouldn't have had to go through apparently, you know, obviously it was a, it was a lot for me. So I think that's why it matured me. It was because it was like, wow, 
yeah, you made some big girl choices and now you get to pay for it. And mm -hmm. now you're a grown up. So plus my mom, you know, like my mom just, yeah, she introduced me to Cody and then, you know, kind of encouraged it. And, yeah. and I was like, yay, I, I get to go play house now. I get to go really be a grown up and, you know, don't have to play. I don't have to, you know, ask my mom to go anywhere or go sneak out anymore. You know, I can just go. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's seven years after that. Like I married Cody. I loved him as much as I could, but I was looking for this soul to soul connection I've been looking for it my whole life, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just need, I don't feel like I am passionately in love with him like I want to. Like, I mean, it's I probably kind of hard when you didn't, I mean, it sounds like you didn't really love yourself then. It's yeah. hard to love somebody when you don't love yourself. This, this is so basic, right? That little saying is so basic. It, and it's, it's something that to, you don't know. You can, yeah. you just don't, you can't feel or understand it until you actually love yourself. Yeah. And that's something that I didn't learn to do until this last year. Wow. So it's, it's sad that like that many years of not realizing that I, all I had to do was just love myself, you know, but, but you got there. I did. And it's, <laughs> and I had to go through the shit that I went through. Yeah. You know, if I wouldn't have gotten divorced, I wouldn't have gotten addicted. So I went out and started partying. and I had my party phase at 24 because I didn't get to party and have fun when I was 18 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I started partying and I met this guy on LDS singles online and he was a big time meth dealer. He was LDS. He was a registered supervisor RN. Like he was like everything good on paper. Really? And I was like, dang. And so he took me out. And then LDS RN, LDS selling meth. Yep. And, <laughs> and a registered nurse RN. Yeah. But he was a, he was a return missionary too. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and I, I went out with him once and I was like, yeah, he's not, it. I'm not into him. Like he just wasn't my type of person. Mm -hmm. He looked good on paper, but he just, his personality was just kind of blah. And so I, you know, kept in touch with him, but I was like, you know, maybe we'll go out a second time, but we just kind of kept in touch as friends. Yeah. And my friend needed a job one time. So I called him up and I was like, Hey, would you want to hire my friend as a, as a nurse, you know? And he was like, I don't know, let me come over and meet her. And so he comes over and he, you know, while he was there, I didn't even know this dude. He like throws this little bag on the ground and I'm like, what's that? And he's like, do you want some? And I was like, what is it? What is that? It's a white powder. I'm not sure what it is. Mystery substance. He's like, Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I was like, no, I don't want it. And he's like, okay, I was just wondering. Yeah. And then I didn't see anything more. He kept kind of like urging me to try this stuff, you know, and I honestly, I didn't know what it was. I figured it was a drug, but I didn't know. I didn't even know the names of the drugs. I didn't know yeah, what cocaine so was or methamphetamines or heroin or what any of them looked like. I didn't, yeah. you know, I hadn't watched all the, they didn't have all the documentaries now. Breaking back then Bad wasn't a thing yet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Intervention was not a thing yet. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, eventually he talked us in, me and my 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 roommate talked us into going to Wendover with him and got us really drunk and and not got us really drunk we got really drunk mm -hmm. and then he was like well I got something to sober us up and you know by that point you're you're out of it you know I, I honest to God was not aware of what I was doing you know yeah. he's like this will sober you up and it was uh, it was in a light bulb and so I was like okay this is kind of weird he's like just just puff it and I was like okay so I did and that one just that one time by the next morning I was driving home from, oh sorry I was driving home from Wendover straight to his house because we took separate cars to get more like that's how powerful that shit was from and one it was time. methamphetamines yes I mean wow I, I didn't really sleep that much that night I slept enough to like wake up sober ish and the craving for that 
feeling overpowered anything else. Like I was supposed to go spend time with my kids that day. I didn't give a shit. I was like, I got to go get more first before I can do anything else. And he knew what he was doing. And then I became like a slave to him. Like, hmm. wow. Men know what they're doing when they get women addicted to drugs because they do become slaves. Is it hard for you to talk about the drug? It's been, it's been getting easier. It still gets me a little anxious. Sometimes I get a little craving when I talk about smoking it or when I talk about how I did it. Like I'll get triggered and want some. But it's just been so many years of pain now. So many years of just struggling and suffering and my kids suffering that if it's going to help somebody, I don't mind talking about it, Mm. but I'm not going to sit there and like gloat about it or like, I don't, I don't willingly talk about it, you know, but the actual drug use, it just, it just, it just kind of gives me this like a nasty, nasty feeling, you know? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that was, I've heard that it's similar, that the high from meth is similar to Adderall. It is. It's just a, a very, a more intense, it's Mm. like Adderall, like times 10. So it's the, it's the pleasure, you know, the dopamine, like getting whatever happens. flooding your brain. Yeah. And, and that was my biggest issue is I could just never have that feeling of, of wanting to do anything. The, the feeling of motivation literally without it without it Mm. without anything like I felt like I felt like I was such a lazy ass all my life because I could never get the motivation to do anything and then when I realized that drugs gave me that motivation you know it was like cleaning sounded so much fun yeah like I'm gonna clean my freaking house I can relate to that for sure but with meth it's like yeah all these ideas sound great and you might even start some but you never finish them Oh. Your mind is just, for me, it's not, it's not Adderall in the, it's, it's like Adderall overload. So it's like, you're way too hyper-focused. Mm. Like, so like you'll see, you know, tweakers are always just like, you know, really tweaking. Like I've got permanent tweakers mouth because of it, <laughs> just because that that's what, you know, you just super hyper-focus in yeah. on things. So luckily that only lasted like. I, I met him in January and by September I lived with my brother in Coquille and that's why I moved there was because no matter what I did, I just couldn't stop. So you only did it for less than a year? The first time. Oh, gotcha. So you were kind of in and out and then yeah. you, you said you went to rehab and stuff. This was just two years ago. That you went to rehab? Yeah. For the first time? Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought that you had been before that for some reason I don't no, know why I, thought I, that. I went to hire Mantianas to get clean and then I married Darren and I stayed clean for like a year or two until I had uh Rocky we moved into these apartments where this lady lived and her kids were all on Adderall and 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 my dad died this is what happened this is my introduction to pills mm. my dad died and um I don't know how much I want to share. I just, okay. So my dad died and my sister was like, oh, I forgot something at the motel. And I'm like, what did you forget? And she's like, oh, just my lower taps. And I was like, what are those for? And she's like, it'll make this day a whole lot easier. And I was Mm. like, well, shit, I want one then, you know? And that was the first time I had taken a pill to numb myself, kind of, to numb my So that was pretty painful for you to, to lose your dad. I didn't know how to deal with it. 
Mm. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't really, I had just gotten to know my dad and gotten a close relationship with him, but there was still so much unknown and so much just, I don't even know. It was, it was a weird death. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was really, really sad because I was just starting to get what I wanted from my dad. So I was super sad. Attention. Yeah. Hmm. A relationship. Right. A friendship, you know? And my dad has a book, like several books of journals that I haven't been able to get my hands on yet because somebody doesn't want to give them to me Mm. at the moment. But we're working on that. Anyway, um, and I feel like when I get to know, when I get those, I will get to know so much more about him. I don't know. That was just a side note. I just, I am so excited to get those because I feel like my dad was very, very, very spiritual. He was very spiritual in the LDS church, but I know that he he had spiritual gifts regardless of whether it was in the LDS church or not. Like I feel like everybody's born with gifts and it doesn't matter what religion you belong to. It doesn't matter how you practice. Like, yeah, I, it's I agree about with that. your relationship with your creator yeah. and nobody gets to be in between you telling you how to do that. You know, there isn't one person strong enough to yeah. say, it's funny you that get you to say have... that. I've, I've actually been thinking about that the past couple of days, like what I believe well, past couple of days, but past couple of months, yes. like what, what I believe. Right. And yeah, I, I agree with you. Like your relationship with God, whatever that means to you, whatever concept that is for you is between you and only you. Yeah. And Nobody can tell me what my spirituality is. Yeah. And it makes me kind of, uh, like I served a mission in yeah. Arizona and it kind of makes me feel weird about missionary work because that's all that you do is you try to push, I well not push, but you like invite people to learn about Jesus and to maybe help them. Right. But it's just like, it crosses a boundary sometimes in my mind, at least when I was a missionary, like everybody needs to do this. Everybody, it's my responsibility to make sure that I baptize as many people as possible because this is the right answer, the right path for everybody who exists as a human being. If you want to go to heaven. If you want to go to heaven. So I, I just kind of, I've been thinking about that lately. Just, I don't know if I'm very fond of missionary work. I think just do whatever you want. As long as you're not hurting anybody. I don't like it when people force their religion on other people. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of good people in the LDS religion. There's a lot of good people in the LDS faith. I don't have any problems with the people. I have problems with the doctrine. I have problems with how it was created. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I respect everybody in their religion because all my family is still LDS. Not all of them, but most of them are still LDS. Yeah, same. And um, more and more people are leaving. That's... Yeah my ultimate goal I know that sounds terrible but my ultimate goal is to get my family out of the church because I really do believe with my whole heart that it's not yeah it's not a good place I mean I I thought that way for a little while but I don't know if that's my goal I I really am okay if people want to be LDS yeah because I want them to respect me being out of the church too so I have to just if that's working for you and you're not hurting anybody BLDS. My problem is, is I don't feel like it's working for anybody in my family. <laughs> I struggle with that sometimes act, too. They have to act like it is because that's what they have to portray. Yeah. You know, like my, a lot of my siblings are struggling like mentally, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're, I'm not saying that they are mentally unstable. I'm saying that they grew up in the same childhood that I did. 
and I know how I felt. So yeah. you can I feel know, torn like between what you want to do and what you want to experience in life and what you're allowed to do because you've been repressed or you're yeah. being restricted, limited by what the church says you can and can't do. Right, right. And I also know that they grew up not loving themselves. Mm. And I know that they still don't. Some of them. Wow. They might say that they do, but like once you connect with yourself, your higher self in that way of like bearing your soul to yourself kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I've, 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 I've done a lot of soul searching this year because I just, I didn't even know how to go within. I didn't know how to, yeah. I didn't know how to talk to myself. You know, I didn't, it was all just critical, 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 mm-hmm. you know? And so once you, once, you, once I was able to love myself, I was able to see like all of the people that don't, you know, and the way that they treat themselves because I did not trust myself. I did not respect myself. I did not honor myself. And it took me a lot of like trial and error for me to realize the things that I was doing to myself. Like we create our own reality. Mm -hmm. I was, I was creating my own chaos, my own suffering, my own damage to myself because I didn't feel like I deserved anything better than that. And to be honest, I could talk about anything. To be honest, I did like a a spiritual mushroom trip. And there's something about doing that that really opened my eyes. That's interesting. It takes your ego completely away. And it kind of the opposite of what meth does. I was able to look at my husband in a whole different light. Like all of the pain and resentment and anger and, you know, all of the buildup of 16 years of a toxic marriage. I was able to finally like see what all that he was doing to show me love because I'm like this big, powerful woman that's helping all of these people. But yet I have nobody because I don't let anybody love me. Mm. And he's trying so hard to love me. And I could see that like he drew me a bath and he made me some dinner and like he had done all of these things this night to like show me how much he loved me. And I am just oblivious to all of it because of my ego. Yeah. And I know these things and I work on my ego, but it's still always, you know, it's always going to be there. You always have to like, it's a balance. You always have to, yeah. you know, good and bad, but it was, it was an amazing journey and it made me realize there's just so much more to this life than just what we see. Yeah. Dude, mushrooms are crazy. Have you tried them? Mm-hmm. What was your experience like? Um, it, I've done it a lot of times and it's terrifying. It was really terrifying for me. Really? Yeah. I had, I've had good experiences, but only on small doses. Yeah. But the, yeah, this one time I did a larger dose and it was, I have the same problem with weed. Like if I smoke mm-hmm. a sativa, it's like a he- more of a head high and my brain just like f- has this need to be in control of my behavior and my actions and just what I, what I look like. That's my ego for sure. And so I, I start to get really paranoid. Same thing with with mushrooms. I just got really, really paranoid. Like I was losing my mind, just losing control. So do you care a lot about like what other people think of you? I Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and when you do mushrooms, it completely takes that away. Yeah, that's why it's so great because you get to see the world without an ego. I think that it would be good if I was just more prepared. I just yeah. wasn't prepared. I didn't do it so the right way. When I went to St. George for the summer... Um, the guy that I was staying with down there for the previous two years, he had been doing what they call these journeys where he brings these, he he would call himself a self-love mentor. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
and he would bring these people down to his house that were troubled or whatever. Like he would bring couples or, you know, family or whatever. And he would send them on a certain journey with a certain lineup of medicine. And I was really iffy about it because I'm an addict Mm. and, you know, I don't want to treat my recovery with a substance. Yes. But I realized that if you use drugs in certain ways that they can be very beneficial for you, especially if you're not using the ones that were your drug of choice, you know, I think every drug can be beneficial if you just use it right. Except for meth, Coke and heroin. Well, even those, like I just read a book about not meth and heroin. Well, meth, I know they, I mean, maybe it's not meth, but Adderall, Adderall kind of type. That yeah, kind like of type, for ADHD yeah. or but for meth. Um, I mean, that's got like poison and antifreeze and all that kind of shit in it. There's no good that that would ever right. do to you. I guess like the street version of it, where it's like cut and dosed yeah. with like, you know. You know, people are trying to make everything okay these days. Like, have you heard about like pedophiles trying it's to get their a... own flag? No. Yeah, they're trying to get their own flag because they're trying to like normalize. Like they're saying that sometimes they they are attracted to adults, but sometimes their body tells their mind that they're a child. And so they're attracted to children. Hmm. And they were like, they were trying to get a special flag for it because people are trying to normalize everything, everything. It's it's gross. Like, you know, like there are limits. I think like, yeah, I'm sorry. Meth is just my limit for that. Some things need to be black and white. I suppose. I think a lot of things are very helpful. And out of everything I've tried, I can't say one Thing that meth would help yeah not one thing it will it was, destroy your life what if it was meth that didn't have antifreeze and like battery that's fluid? AD, that's adderall really it's the yeah. same thing oh yeah huh. adderall is basically methamphetamine like with one minus one component or something like that yeah like that's why it's chemical amphetamine and methamphetamine so it's like it's just you just add the meth which is all the poisons and shit that make it Huh. 10 times more intense. Jesus. I mean, I don't Don't quote me on any of this because this is just my own garbage that <laughs> yeah. I pull out of my head. I don't, know I don't do research. I just use my experiences for knowledge. I Yeah, just... that's I mean, it's probably better to just, yeah, to stay away from it. I mean, yeah. I'm sure that there's a way for it to be positive. And and that's the But just the behavior and that's around the Adderall. It. Uh, or Vyvanse or, you know, all those different ADHD meds. But even like I tried to find a non-stimulant ADHD and med and there is one, it's Stratera, but I was oh, also I on... I heard of that one. I've actually been looking for a non-stimulant there's version There's one too. and it just doesn't do the same. It just doesn't, it, there's no amphetamines in it. And mm. so it just doesn't do the same thing. But I always wanted to try it to see if it at least helped a little bit. But at the time this was like last year when I was talking to my doctor because I still struggle with it. I still talk to her about like, you know, if there's anything that I can do. Like, I wish that I could like... So in between the 15 years that me and Darren were married, Mm -hmm. I was pretty much using something that whole time. So after Rocky was born, you know, I went through... Or before Rocky was born, I went through like some, you know, pills. And then after that, I got on Suboxone. And then I tried to get off Suboxone. What's that? Suboxone is like for opiate withdrawal patients Uh, it's like an opiate withdrawal medication but it's but it's it's used to like help people get off of heroin but you can also take it continuously if you have a hard time not being what's that one methadone what's that one plant that helps get people get off of heroin or opiates are you talking oh kratom i think it's a are you talking kratom no i think it's ayahuasca no i think it's called iboga Oh, Iboga. It's like an African bark or something. I have never heard of that one. 
There is something that's been, you know, all over the smoke shops called Kratom. And I'm sure people have all heard of Ibogaine. I think. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I've heard those names. But Kratom is, is, is a silent killer too. Like it, like it's not regulated. Mm -hmm. And so they say, yeah, use Kratom to get off opiates. And so, um, after treatment, because even I've been after, I've been out of treatment since 2019 and I haven't been clean since 2019. I haven't used meth again, but I have still continuously gone through cycles of, of when I first got out, I had some teeth work done and I had to take some, I had to get some pain pills. And oh, that was yes. just the taste of having that taste back in my mouth of the drug after ha- not having it for six months. Mm-hmm. I just went crazy. And so the only thing I could get was Kratom. So I went to the store and got Kratom and that was like a, that started like an eight month addiction to Kratom So what where kinda, I was taking so much. Tell me what, like what goes through your head when you try something that like a new substance that's working for you, that's, that feels good. What goes through your head that causes you to become an addict or I guess I'm just trying to understand like what the disease is like, what it feels like in your brain. After you become an addict, it's like a constant you know that inner critic? It's like a constant, um, a constant, constant, constant. Just go get the drug, go get the drug, go get the drug. If you had the drug, you could do this. If you had the drug, you could do this. Like it mm. literally becomes, you have to retrain your brain to not think about it. Because, I mean, for so many years when I was, when I was trying to stay clean or whatever, I would just sit in my bedroom and just literally go insane. Just thinking about insane. it? Insane. Until I would just go get some because yeah, like I just could not Couldn't stop think about anything thinking else. about it huh. because I mean the, the motivation to get up and go do anything was never there. And then you add drugs to it. Drugs really fucks with your head. Yeah. Like it fucks, it fucked with my creativity. Like I used to be able to like decorate and, and be creative and, you know, do all sorts of fun things, a uh, scrapbook and, and cross stitching and all these things and it's like that's one of the things that the drugs did did to me was like took away my creativity Hmm. so it's harder for me to like think about how to put something together you know that's really interesting because when I use Adderall I sometimes feel more creative Mm -hmm. I feel I mean the motivation obviously is is there but I will feel like I'll go I'll take some and then go to a photo shoot Mm -hmm. And I'll feel like very much in the flow. Yeah. Like I'll get into the zone of my creativity and I can stay there for a lot longer. And then it's like a balance. I just am there. Yeah. And it helps me to do tasks that I, like what you're saying, cleaning or like invoicing. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking the hate stupid invoicing. shit that you don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. Just, like you, little you tedious have... things. So yeah, yeah it, it does. It does make your creativity blossom. And so when you don't have that anymore, it's like you're it's like I forgot how to do it by myself. Oh, I see. Because for so many years and so like I didn't do Adderall and meth for a ton of years, but off and on a lot, I, I would mess around with Adderall over the years trying to like get a prescription and do it right and then fuck it up and then, you know, like go through it in two weeks and then don't go through it at all and then, you know, go without for two weeks and then get another prescription and go crazy for two. Like that was just like a cycle for oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um... And yeah, it, it did. It helped with the creativity. It helped me with organizing. It helped me with cleaning and all that kind of stuff. But then you kind of become dependent on it. And I it. became so dependent on it that my body doesn't mm. know how to do it without it. Like, I'm, I, know I, I know I know how. It's just like learning to get 
So right. this is the way you retrain your brain, I realized. Yes, please educate so, me. So um, I, I, was, I was like, okay, like I know my brain's fucked up, but how can I do something about it? Like I want to be happy. I want to be better. I want to do all these things. I just really don't know how. Like I've been stuck. I don't know what the steps are to get out of this pit in hell, you know? Yeah. So slowly, bit by bit, I just noticed what things were making me happy and what things were making me sad. Every time I got that icky feeling in my stomach. Yeah. Don't do that, Teresa. That means that you don't like that. That's just not... learning to listen yeah, to your body. Exactly. That's it. I never did. I, I denied myself every human, <laughs> basic human need. Like I would starve myself. I wouldn't drink water. And I don't even know why. It, I just didn't. And it was, it was when I did my mushroom trip, my very first mushroom trip, I realized that it was because I didn't think I deserved it. Like I literally didn't think I deserved water. Jesus. Deep, deep down in the, like deep, deep down. Like, I don't realize that that's why I'm doing things, you know, but why else do we treat ourselves yeah, that awareness so bad? Is massively helpful when yes. you're like, I just, when you can say, I just realized that I didn't feel like I deserved to be nourished by mm-hmm. water or I, that I deserve love yep. that even from myself. Yep. And that's why <laughs> we're even drinking. That's crazy. Yeah. Man, it got to a deep point in your life. Yeah, that's only that's only, you know, just been really recently where I've realized how deep the soul can actually go. And now I'm so hungry for more. Like, would you say that your mushroom trip was a turning point for you? Big time, big time. So I went out there and I did this journey and we actually tried mushrooms, but I was on Wellbutrin and Wellbutrin blocks mushrooms completely. So I did five grams of mushrooms and I didn't feel I threw up and then I didn't do anything. I went to bed. I was like, this is stupid. I don't Five. feel a single thing. Yeah. yeah. My, my bad trip was, I took three. Oh, really? But I was also by myself. I, wonder, I didn't tell anybody. I was anybody. just going to say, you need to do it in a different setting because the way that he did it for, the way that they do it there in a journey, they set up this beautiful space. They put like stones out. That's you know, cool. They put, uh, like, I, like I do, I read cards and stuff like that. I'm very, very spiritual in my in like energy wise like that's what i've done this year like tarot cards oh gotcha um so that's what i've done this year which which mormons all believe is the devil and i've had so much guilt learning to be open to it because of what i've been ingrained in my brain Mm -hmm. that anything outside of the church is devil worshiping basically yeah anyway (laughs) but um going to saint george and doing the journey i realized Cause I was trying to find my spirituality Yeah. because I became very, very Christian and I was, I loved going to the Christian churches and just worshiping and just singing and dancing and just feeling that feeling, that spiritual feeling. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted more like that wasn't enough. And I knew that there was more to get, you know? So then, um, I remember driving back from St. George and I was listening to the untethered soul it's a good book about Dude, like I love that book. Oh my gosh, I learned so much. I've talked about it on the podcast. So much. So I listened to they said something to me because I was fighting so hard with what my spirituality could is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Is it supposed to be a Christian church? Is it supposed to be tarot cards? Is it supposed to be nothing? Like what is it? I don't I don't know what it is and I want it so bad. I I just wanted to figure it out. And on the way back I was listening to that book and it said spirituality is a feeling. It's not it's not a a thing it's a feeling and it's a feeling inside you when your energies are rising and nobody else can tell you when your spirituality is like 
in, ta- in, in, in effect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know totally. how to word the wording right. It's, it's hard. But nobody the way can he, tell me. The way that the author writes it in that book is so good. Oh my god. I've gosh. tried to like explain it to people, but I just it is. cannot you have to recite read it. it the way that yeah. he does. I have to literally like go and like type it word for word because there's so many different parts in there that I'm just like, oh my gosh. And it was like a big eye-opening moment. It was like, okay, so, so when you bear your testimony or when you, what, so some of the times where I really did feel the spirit during my LDS Cat religion, fight. during my LDS religion, there were times where I did feel the spirit. And I know that there, that the spirit, that spirituality exists in that church. I'm not saying that, that, that there's no spirituality in there. Yeah, absolutely. It's in everybody's heart. It's everybody's own spirituality gathering you know yeah that's how i learned how to be spiritual that's yeah it was in the mormon church yeah there's so many like good things my that come from girls the camp um testimony meetings you know so that feeling yeah i realized when i felt that feeling that's the spirit you know the spirituality and so i would pay attention to my body and i would realize things that made me feel more spiritual and it was <laughs> things that were completely different than you know what the mormon church would have said or what this would have said it's like going in the mountains and you know having my feet on the ground and I'll just like get the worst goosebumps ever and just feel this like rush of energy through me, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's my spirituality. That's cool. My spirituality is writing in a journal and meditating and yoga and incense and you know, just all that stuff. That's what makes me happy. So powerful. Like I was going to mention meditation because it sounds like what addiction is, is just like this constant, uh, voice in your head telling you to go that you're not going to be happy you're not you don't deserve happiness unless or or i guess you have to just go take this drug if you're going to get anything done and then to be able to separate yourself from that voice in your head the inner critic or just that narration that is the hardest part of becoming sober and it's so boring if i'm honest like just the (laughs) real problem boring the real problem with addiction the the actual reason why people become addicted is lack of connection like flat out with what anybody just human to human connection beings uh gotcha like if if i had if i had deep connections where i knew people loved me Mm -hmm. like it wasn't until this year where i've ever had a friend where i knew they loved me and i let them love me and they love me unconditionally i've never had that before Hmm. so so having those types of connections keep me sober. I've never uh, even yeah. had those connections with my children because I have, haven't loved myself. So I've never even been able to love them or let them love me, you know? Yeah. So these are all things that we're like learning like in the present moment, like going through on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's just, ongoing now? Oh yeah, currently. Like, yes. It's wow. a struggle, a daily struggle. Yeah. And trying to get my husband to... So now that I love myself and I know what it feels like to connect to my soul, like I, I crave that with my husband, Yeah. but he can't, he, he, he doesn't even have the capacity to do it right now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And with his job and his stress and his work life, you know, it's like, you have to learn how to get rid of all of that in order to like be at peace and calm. And like, I just, it's hard when it's you're just so, so busy hard. when you're like the world that we live in is very like he has nine no to five. time for you nothing. Make yeah. money. You got to provide. Well, and his Here's is like role. nine to nine, you know, Even he's a harder, GM yeah. at a dealership. So he's like the boss. <laughs> yeah. So he's there all the time. It's hard. Like my, my girlfriend 
she's just started her own business and uh she's busy all the time mm-hmm. working working and it's hard for her to find a work-life balance yes. well it's not hard but she's you know she's getting there she's kind of slow and i um yeah it's 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 hard like i sometimes feel that lack of connection with her and i it's it consumes my whole attention like it consumes yeah, like my therapy why, sessions why is it not why are why are we not feeling that? Yeah, and then I thing? start to like blame stuff. I'm like, oh, it's it's the it's the Adderall that's making me irritable, which it probably is. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's very. It's like, what do you do? Difficult and confusing. Yeah. I wish that we could. That what's what's people, your wife's business? Just so. Like, um, she, she does photography. Cool. She's a photographer. We work a lot together. Where do you live? Like, where do you reside? I live in Medford, Aww. Southern Oregon. You should, lo- you should move to Utah. Well, actually, I should move to Oregon. She's here. She's. Um, I just dropped her off at City Creek. Oh. She came with me out here. We're doing some work, and then doing this podcast, and then just visiting family down in Lehigh. And uh, she's liking it up here a lot more than I thought she would. Really? Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, Oregon is beautiful, but these mountains are beautiful too. Yeah, you can't beat these Utah mountains. <laughs> I would but live Oregon, here again. you like live in the mountains, you know. It's you beautiful. live in the woods. You live in the woods. <laughs> there is no city. Yeah, yeah, we almost ran out of gas out there on our last trip. We because I forget that there's like so much land between um, cities out in Oregon, and so like <clears throat> we yeah. like we're down to zero miles, and we're like, oh, good, there's a gas tank, and we pull in, and it's just like a boat ramp type thingy. And they only have unleaded, and I have a diesel, and I'm like, oh, so we literally drove for like 20 miles on zero miles oh wow but we made it nice just a good thing because i heard that if you ever run a diesel out of gas you will never do it a second time because it's a pain in the ass to like you oh, have to really? like pump the line or something out oh know. gotcha it's a pain well it's super annoying in oregon when you like drive up to a gas station late at night and they're closed and you can't pump your own gas you in oregon <laughs> oh oh that's right they tried have to, to pump it for you i thought that that changed but it didn't huh no that's right because he got out and they there. They were like, we'll, we'll get it for you. And he's like, oh, I can get it. And we'll get it for you. Yeah, you're not allowed to. That's right. I think it's a, they, they do that to provide jobs, mm. you know, to be Makes a gas sense. pumper. Makes sense. But it's super That annoying. trip to Oregon, man, that was, a, that was a big growing trip. Like, we have never done that. Me and Darren just took off. And I was in this mode of like, oh, this is how you retrain the brain. Let's go back to that for a second because that's yeah. an important point. Yeah, yeah. So you said like listening to your body was one of them. Listening to your body. And so I read, I watched this show called Rewired and it talks about how, you know, the, the when you take drugs over and over again, your brain automatically goes to that for, um, you know, for survival, for, for everything. If I'm stressed, my, my go-to was always drugs. If I was tired, go-to was drugs. If I was this, drugs, mm. drugs. So you have to create new experiences, you know, like journaling and that kind of stuff to, you know, create new habits, healthier habits. But with each new thing that you learn and each new experience that you go out and experience, it's like one, like, you know, like one little healthy mark towards a healthier brain, right? New experiences. So that was my whole thing this year was like, 
I don't even care what it is. I want to do something new every week. I want to go see someplace new every mm, week. That's a cool goal. It was awesome. Gives and you something to look forward to. I was in St. George. Like I stayed down there for like the summer for like three months or whatever. Why the summer? Uh, because so it just happened. Like the hot. universe was literally just opening up doors for me. Yeah. I don't even know how I got to go down there and stay for three months, but that family taught me how to love myself. However it happened, every single one of those seven members of that family, they loved me and I let them love me and I loved them back. It was, mm. it was like the most beautiful experience ever. And it's awesome. And who gets that opportunity? Like just to walk away from their family. So between the tr- first treatment, the second treatment and that, I've probably been away from my family for like about a year total. And that has been rough on my, on my kids. My kids are very shut down emotionally kind of because of that. Uh, I think it's or just in general, I think in general, I think oh. I, that's what I taught them because that's what I did. That's what I knew, mm. you know? So yeah. now it's like trying to talk emotionally to my two younger ones. Mm-hmm. They get super uncomfortable and scream and just like, stop talking to me. Cause they just want to process this emotion. They just don't. And I know that Starlet's a big thinker and, and yeah. like a big feeler, but she doesn't know how to process anything. So yeah. she's in a, that's hard. It's in a dark place sometimes. Yeah. My, my problem sometimes is I overprocess. Yes. Like I want to just Everybody process. Does. I'm a verbal processor so it can get annoying for my partner when I'm just like constantly yeah. needing to talk to her in order to figure out how I'm feeling or what I'm, what I'm so thinking. Do you, are you paranoid a lot? Is it like paranoia or like, no. what are, is it, so, so this is what I heard. Mm-hmm. Every choice you make is out of fear or love. That's what you heard from me? No. Oh, and from your... Just from somebody. Oh, gotcha. I can't remember where I heard it. Oh, I think I heard it from the Kai app. You know, have you ever tried the Kai app? Mm-mm. It's very good at like helping me keep my journal entries up to date and stuff. It just kind of like, it's like a motivator for me. It's like, like prompts. Yeah. It's, it, it'll just like send me a text saying, how are you feeling today? And I'll be That's like, cool. I'm fucking pissed off right now because this, 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 this. <laughs> and then it'll save that in my journal entry. And that That's way I cool. can know like how my days are. Yeah. Sorry, the kitty wants to scratch on that. That's why we have those so ugly chairs there is for them to scratch on. Oh, I didn't know if you wanted her to, her to scratch her or And not. you can put her down if you don't want so her to. So sweet. <laughs> I love cats. I have two. Oh, you do? What don't colors? get me started on cats. One of them's orange. Her name's Saki. Oh, Rocky like wants the, an orange one. Yeah, she's great. She's three or four. And then we just got a new one. He's, he's gray, and we named him Goose. Oh. He's a gray goose. Our white cat. <laughs> is pregnant right now with a whole litter another litter yeah like this girl we cannot keep her inside she she darts outside the second the doors open and comes back pregnant i swear she'll go one <laughs> she'll leave one time and she comes back pregnant <laughs> it's like you when you were 15 uh, exactly <laughs> <laughs> ouch ammon sorry Ken. i hope that wasn't too insensitive <laughs> you could no it's I, all love it all is love. all love you have to joke about the shit you know sometimes you that's you know I mean, what? He was probably one of my mechanisms. biggest mistakes. Or my, or my best mistakes. What? Dakota was. That's oh. his name is Dakota. But oh, you're... I'm just going to give a shout out to him real quick because he's pretty freaking amazing. And I could have yeah, never done that do. if I raised him. I would have never been able to do what he's done. He just started like a nonprofit organization to help people adopt. This is your son that you had when you were 15? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. He, it's called the Destiny, the Destiny Adoption Foundation. It's just really cool to see him like not only be happy that he was placed for adoption, but like 
do good for, do good from it because he said he has a podcast too and he has a lot of adoptees come on the ones that are adopted oh that's cool my husband was also adopted but he had a terrible adoption experience his adopted mom was crazy you know and so yeah. he didn't get a better life going into adopted family you know he got just a shitty of a life yeah. where you're supposed to give him a better life you know anyway yeah. so he he noticed that most of the kids that were adopted had bad stories but his mom and dad were like the prime uh yeah kitty cat no they were the prime examples of what adoptive parents should do they they cherished me yeah. they like put me on this pedestal they thanked me all the time they were so gracious to me for bringing this baby to them you know that's so and cool not very many adopted parents are like that they're like give me my baby and then you just butt out Right. And they I don't was want so, you to have a connection or a relationship with right. your own they child. They were so worried, yeah. And I yeah. was so, so, so heartbroken and sad. Like, I can't even explain the depth of sadness during that time. And all I wanted was pictures. And they sent me so many pictures. That's awesome. Just so many pictures. They were just, they were just so good. It was just the greatest adoption experience you could have, to be honest. Like, yeah. it's great. And he is just, he's an amazing kid. He's got my personality. He's Shout out to cool. Dakota. Shout out to Dakota. What's the name of his podcast? Um, the Destiny Adoption Foundation podcast, I think. I don't know. Oh, cool. I don't even know. You can just throw that cat across the room if you want to. She She's likes so it. Snuggly. I actually like her. She's actually a baby. I just made a video with a family actually um, about their... So when you want to adopt a kid, mm -hmm. you have to like make a video of your family. Uh -huh. Kind of like an ad for your yeah, family, like yeah. saying what you like and who like you what's are up with your life. Yeah. Just like kind of give uh like I got mine in a, in a two page paper that that's all that, that I got was like a two page paper that explained their life, but oh, it's yeah. a little bit more advanced these days. So yeah, yeah the, the agencies, they like require a video to be wow. made. And so this family hired me to make a, like a professional style video of them. Oh. And we like went skiing together and oh, I just so hung out with fun. the family for like a few months, not consistently, but we would get together yeah. and we just film them like camping or hang out with their kid. Cause they had a, a, See, a son. Those are the experiences I need. So if you ever yeah. need a partner on any of your fun experiences, it was so cool. I just need to go do fun things. Yeah. I'm like helping this family. I'm like filming this, this family so they yeah. can try and fulfill a dream and of getting like, a baby. And they're like taking you on all these fun things and taking yeah, and all the, these fun places. The cool, so I had a really surreal moment actually with them because they, they took me, they bought me a snowboarding pass because mm -hmm. they wanted to go skiing. Yeah. But then their son was cold and needed to go home. So they, we hung out for like an hour and I filmed them skiing and then they left. I just stayed for the rest of the day, went snowboarding. I was like, are you good at snowboarding? I'm, uh, I've been like, snowboarding. Do you go often? Yeah, I go pretty often. I'm not good, but I I like it. My son's so awesome at it. Him and his girlfriend, they are uh -huh. so good at it, and they're supposed to take me. I I've love never it. been in my life, and I want to go. I've never been skiing or snowing, snowboarding, and I live in Utah. Well, <laughs> that's common. I, I just talked the lady who we rented common. our car so from here. Expensive. The lady who we rented our car from here. She was like, I've never been to the Salt Flats, and I've lived here my whole life. Like. That's, me I and Darren. So common. People, if you live we somewhere, you just never go went to Antelope Island within the last two or three weeks uh -huh. for the first time ever. Is that the one that's out by the Salt yeah. Lake? Yeah, like you drive out to like right past Layton, and then you just go way out that way. Oh, gotcha. And then I guess you're just surrounded by the Salt Flats, but it's I don't it's know if I ever went there either. Dry. I'm not sure if I ever the ever went there. the bison were gone. I guess there's like a, a herd of bison that they keep up there, but they had herded herded them out the day before we <laughs> so went. So you up got there, out there, so they, you're like. 
cool. is lame. <laughs> so Actually, glad we did it this. was the most coolest spiritual experience I've ever had. Because I always do that. Oh, really? And as what I'll do is I'll, is I'll roll a J. Yeah. And I go up in the mountains or go somewhere in in nature. Nature is just like it, it gives me these this weird energy that I never feel anywhere else. Like electric energy. Anyways, and so like I we went out there and we climbed up to these rocks and I think that there was like supposed to be water out there, but there wasn't. <clears throat> and I just sat like and meditated right there, like at the top of this That's rock, awesome. and I could see everything around me while I smoked the joint first, and then I, yeah. and then I just meditated, and I felt like I was freaking flying. Like I opened my eyes, and I forgot where I even was because I was so in the zone. And I opened my eyes, and I'm like, "Holy sh! Is this real? Like this is what I meditate places where I'm at, but I, I don't, I don't really meditate in places like this. It was just a really cool. Yeah, experience. I've reached Nirvana. Yeah, I have reached the fifth dimension. Why do you live in? Why do you live in Utah? If like you like weed and you like mushrooms, like all those things. Oh are man, I would love to. I w- that's my dream. My yeah. dream is to move to Oregon. In fact, when I moved in with Hiram Tiana, my husband actually got transferred to Grants Pass, and he was going to go be the store manager at the Dollar Tree in Grants Pass. And when he mm. picked me up, we were going to move there. Yeah. Okay. And I was going to leave my kids here with their dad and everything. Yeah. Um, however. A bad incident went down at Hiram and Tiana's house, and I decided I didn't want to live anywhere near them. Oh. So I got caught smoking at their house. Oh, that's a big like, no-no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was all they asked, is to just not smoke and do drugs and yeah. stuff like that. And they took care of me. And, you know, my ego at the time, I, I did nothing wrong. They were the assholes, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because. Um, that ego, man, it'll get that you. That ego, it ruins you every time. Like, it, 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 it that incident stood between me and Hiram for so many years, so yeah. many years until just last year, last year when he oh, came to cool. visit me, actually, he, he just said, I just want to apologize for that incident, which made a, Oh, that's awesome. It, it was important to me because that was a traumatic thing that happened to me because I, of where you were at in your life. Yeah. And it was a physical thing and yeah. it was like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I know my brother and I know that, um, he's, he's gone through a lot the last two years too, growing and, and stuff like that. And, um, I know that he has some of my dad's temper in him, you know, mm. I guess it's, this is, this is me trying to justify what he did, but really yeah. it was just a shitty thing, you know, but, um, yeah, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And the thing is, is when he apologized to me, like finally it showed me that he actually cared about my feelings too. And, so cool. and that's the thing is like, we can't expect anybody to know how we feel about them unless we tell them. Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine how many per- people I've hurt and I have no idea. You know what I mean? And yeah. there's so many people hold grudges or resentments for something that somebody did to hurt them when half the time they don't even know, you know, it's like, you got to give the people a chance to redeem themselves. Like I've had a lot of hurt caused to me and a lot of times they don't even know, you know? Yeah, so sure. I either need to like talk to them about it or, you know, let it go. But people just love to hold on to those things because it protects us. But it's really just your ego. Yeah, I think just that, trying I mean, to your body, stay your on brain top of you. is, it's natural to try and protect yourself. Yeah. Like why we do the things we do. Why do we feel anxious? It's because, I mean, anxiety is there for a reason. Your body, yeah, it's fear. Which I like what you said earlier when you just learn how to listen to your body. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. I need to have water yes. or I need Stop to what have you're some doing food. And go get some food. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with anxiety. A lot of us just try to really avoid. Um, feelings and emotions that are uncomfortable. Yep. yep. But do you know that complaining is that people complain to avoid feeling. 
So if you hear somebody I'm complaining, <laughs> if you hear somebody complaining, it's because they don't want to have to feel the feels. Eesh, that is actually very enlightening for me. And then go back to the other thing where you make all your choices out of fear and fear or love. Because if you think about it, if you think about it, it's true. Like you either make choices because you're scared mm-hmm. of something or you make choices because you love something and you're going to do this out of love, you know? Yeah. Like when I went to St. George, anxiety was in my stomach all the time. Ever since I had used opiates, I just constant anxiety. Opiate anxiety is like the worst um, side effect of all drugs. Yes. Just constant anxiety. And when I went to St. George, I remember Brady, the, the dad there, he was telling me one time, he was like, I was just like, oh, my stomach is just always hurting. And he's like, what are you, what are you afraid of? And I was like, I'm not. My stomach just hurts. He's like, yeah, but what are you afraid of? So then I was like, I started like going within, you know, mm-hmm. and asking myself like, why is there a, is there a feeling of fear there? And there was, you know, it was always, a, it, there was always a feeling of fear that I was over letting overpower my feeling of hope or, you know, hope that I could do this yeah. because a lot of times it's our own, it's our own, we, we are our own worst enemy. We are the one that gets in our own way. We are our own worst critic, our own judge, you yeah. know, nobody else judges me. I judge me. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody else talks bad about me. I talk bad about me. Yeah. And it's just, we, we just need to be nicer to ourselves, you know? And this beautiful roommate that I have living with me, she is like a perfect example of a mini me. Mm-hmm. So she is so giving, so, so, so giving, not saying that I'm so giving, but like, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that like, I don't like to ask for help, but I will give to anybody. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she's the same way. So I'm trying to give to her. She's trying to give to me. So it's, it's, it's like a different relationship that I'm not used to because everybody in this, my family is their takers because I'm the mom, you know, that's just mm. the way it is. Yeah. And so to have another giver, it's really odd for me to have to like allow her to give to me, hmm. but it's a good, it's a good thing for me. Like, it's just a new thing. It's a new lesson that I'm learning, yeah. you know, the lesson so. I'm trying to learn right now, by the way, I love that. I think that that's such a great balance, like to have a person in your life who's able to give yes. instead of just constantly this taking. This is the first year that I've had friends like that, that, that yeah. I have allowed to be that close to me and that I've allowed myself to connect with them because as an addict, I realized I avoid connection at all costs because then hmm. I have more excuse to go use, you know, oh, because yeah. the more I'm, the more I isolate, the better the chances are that I'm, a, I'm either using or going to use. Was know? that a conscious thing that you would do or was that subconscious? It was not conscious. Hmm. I would isolate. I would start getting depressed and then I would isolate. And then I would, you know, but, and I find myself doing that still to this day. Like if I start getting a little bit depressed, then my friends will be like, oh, can I come over and see you? I'll be like, oh no, I got to get stuff done today. And then I like won't leave my room for two mm, days, yeah. you know, and then they'll eventually come over and drag me out of my room because they know they know now that you're falling into yeah. a spiral. And I just, it's, it's great having friends. I love having friends. So great. <laughs> like it's just weird to be 41 years old and really never have a real friendship Yeah. because younger, when we were younger, we moved all the time. We, I never had a consistent friend, you know, yeah. it's just, it's weird. It's weird having healthy relationships. That's the, one of the things I've loved about being here this past week in Utah. Like we went out to Lake effect last night. It's a really cool bar downtown. And it was just like nice to make friends. Yeah. Like just people are clean yeah. here and nice and I love and like down to earth. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just making friends. It's like, this is cool. This feels good yeah. to be socializing and like having some drinks 
And that's what people need. Like I yeah. realized that I need that with multiple people, not just my family, not just a couple friends, but yeah. like I'm a, I'm a person that feeds off of other people's energies. Like I can feel other people's energies. So when I'm in a bar with a bunch of people, I'm just like super happy and excited and, you know, like having the time of my life, yeah. you know, and I need, I need that so much. Like, I don't know how to find people to connect with that are like into the same things as I am, you know, right. as a 40 year old. Like, and how do you find friends? Kicks in. And so, I'm not social anxiety. I don't have social anxiety. I am I such do. a, I am such a people person. I, I give my kids social anxiety because of how social I am. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> You'd probably be like, like Danny, we were at Maverick yesterday and I bought her a pack of cigarettes or something like that. And I go, here you go. And she goes, I don't want you to have to pay for these. And I was, and I was like, oh, you'll pay for them in the bedroom later. And the, <laughs> the guy behind the register, she's like, Teresa, they're going to think that we're lesbian lovers now. And I was like, yeah, that's why I did it. And she was like, so embarrassed. And she turned around and walked out really quick. I just like making, I, I like putting people in that uncomfortable spot yeah. because uncomfortable equals growth. And if you're not getting uncomfortable, you're not really growing as an individual. Yeah, I think that it, it, there's a balance there, though. Like, yes. you don't want to make people... <laughs> I, I know I go overboard on purpose. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I don't know. I've never hung out with you, yeah. but I think... I do. I love it. But I love I love making people feel uncomfortable because then I, I feel like it makes them feel more comfortable. They feel something. So, and... okay. So, you know when there's like an awkwardness, you know, I always try to like break the ice by saying something funny. Oh, so you're very to disarming. To make them feel comfortable... But it's always something that makes them feel uncomfortable, actually. Hmm. I, I should look into that. <laughs> I, the approach I typically take uh, is, because I, I see what you mean, like making somebody uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like you're just being playful. It's just fun it's for you. It's usually people that I know that I make uncomfortable, like my, yeah. my kids. But when I'm like trying to like make conversation with somebody, like my kids as kids that come over that are like kind of nervous or whatever. Yeah. Like I usually know how to break the ice with them in a way that, make some feel more comfortable i tip so the approach i typically take is one of reassurance where i'm like hey everything's okay like this is fine like when i walked in here we were gonna do the podcast and you were kind of nervous yeah. i was like <laughs> this great. is gonna be fine like we're yeah. just gonna sit here and that's why there's not yeah. that many that's i'd like to yeah we're just gonna chat about whatever we can swear we can <laughs> talk for two hours i can be myself i don't have to have a mask on yeah that's what i realized is that people wear masks everybody wears a mask <clears throat> until they get to know themselves and love themselves. And that's when their mask comes off and they get to see yes. who they really are inside. Yeah. That, that's actually something that was hard for me to like really learn who I am. like get to know myself. Yep. Especially in a sheltered Mormon family. That's what I was just going to say. You're told who you are, but it's not just that it's also my personality. Like okay. I'm just, I was just pretty shy. I have a little bit of social anxiety and I, um, just was like, kind of a mama's boy growing up. I always wanted to be home. I just felt awkward with my friends at school. And I am very much like you as well. I'm kind of a people pleaser. And yeah. uh, I, I feed people. off of the connection from other people. And so I would just um, totally disregard what I wanted to do or what I needed. Yes. And yes. to the point in, in my marriage That's too. That's called codependency. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where I just like completely forgot who I was or what yep. I wanted. So yep. now, just like how you're working on building connections with other people, mm -hmm. I'm really working on building a connection with myself and learning how to say what I want when my girlfriend asks me, where do you want to go eat? Or what do you want to do today? What's your flow? And I say, this is what I want. Whereas before, I'd 
what do you want, honey? Yeah, it just it was impossible for me to get that out of, not for her to get it out of me, but for me to get it out of me, unless I was alone. Dude, that's awesome that you said that because that's literally that has been my my life this year. Yeah, is is finding out who I am. What do I like? Mm-hmm. Not what do my kids like? What does my husband like? What do I like? What do I want to do with my time? Because I, especially as mothers, we give everything to our families as soon as we have families but we forget to take care of who we are and so exactly like you just said and that started for you so young so young I don't even remember having an identity ever to begin with in high school well I mean like I dropped out in 10th grade but like I didn't I didn't play any sports or I didn't do any fun activities or I didn't have any like passions or anything like that like I just don't ever remember having anything so it's like those are why I want new experiences now because I need to find out what it is that I do like you know I know I love dancing and I love you know being around people and I love going rock climbing and I love you know anything to do with the outdoors like I want to I want to experience everything that I have a great place for all those I know but I don't know anybody that's the problem it's like I want to do all these things but I don't know how like I'm just stuck and I'm so ADHD and such a basket case that like if anything is just a little too overwhelming I'm just not gonna do it yeah I hear you know and it's only been recently that I've allowed myself to like like one of the reasons why I would always go back to using is when I look at my house and my house is like trashed you know it's dirty and this I walk into a room and each room has a pile of something somewhere and you know the overwhelmingness of like oh my gosh look at all of these chores that need to be done and I can't find the motivation to do them yeah you know being okay giving myself grace you know saying you're not perfect and you don't have to be your kids are happy and they're healthy and they have food over the in their bellies and a house over their head who the fuck cares if your house doesn't look like tiktok you know (laughs) who the fuck cares if your bedroom has piles everywhere are you happy are you happy with who you are Right now, you know? It's so great to focus on the things that are going right in your life. You have to. I struggle with that. When you focus on the negative, you're only bringing the negative to light. Like, the law of attraction is real. Whatever you focus on is what you're going to make a reality. We create our own reality. Literally, before I went to St. George, there was so much chaos in my life. Every time I would go run an errand, something would happen. I'd blow a tire or, you know, I would get stuck behind 14 people at a line or something. So I was always coming back frustrated and angry, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I would always leave in a bad mood, you know, and it was just like, as soon as I changed my outlook on the negativity in my life and as soon as I changed the outlook on just my whole, my whole outlook, mm-hmm. it was like all of the chaos stopped, the problems stopped, like I didn't see so much negative because I was trying, like my husband, my my relationship with my husband is my biggest trial (laughs) and, and my, and will be my greatest blessing when we figure this out. Cause I know I'm going to like, I know I'm not going to give up on him and I'm not going to walk away just like everybody else has in his life. Like I will stay until he learns to love himself. But the problem is, is that we've lived in this toxic relationship for 16 years where we put each other down now because hurt people hurt people. Mm. We've hurt each other so many times now that it's like <clears throat> we're hurting each other because you're hurting me. And so I'm hurting you. Yeah. I hear you. So, uh, trying to change that perception 
trying to look at all of the good that he does rather than nitpick at him for all of the bad that he does because I'm so good at that. Yeah. I am so good at nitpicking. I'm a control freak. I always want to be in control. Those are all things that I have to work on daily to like, like my kids will flat out say, mom, control, control, mom. And I'm like, you're right. Sorry. I do that. Because so. I try to release control, but still have control. Yeah. Oh yeah. You yeah, can yeah. watch something. Just keep it on Netflix. Why? Right. I don't know. Just because that way I'm still keeping control of it, but you get to pick the show. It's just stupid. It's the stupid little control games that I mean, like, and it all stems from the ego, you know, just protecting yourself. That's why I get paranoid when I smoke weed. It's because my, I start to feel like I'm not in control. Yep. And then I freak out. You're a control freak. Yeah. I'm working on it. I don't, I, I mean, it's how do I so retrain my brain to, to get over it's that? It's a process. So like you literally have to stop yourself when you're getting paranoid, when you're getting scared, you literally have to just stop yourself and say, okay, how do you pronounce your name? Ammon. Ammon. Like okay. salmon, but without the so S. So do I pronounce, <laughs> I, th I think I said it right, right? Yeah. You've been saying it right. Okay. For some reason I said, I, I think my sister, my daughter told me I said it wrong one time. So now I'm like. Un insecure about it oh okay. god it's so fine i get called amen amen amon <laughs> sorry i was just trying to think of a, a nickname to call you but um i forgot i was on a podcast so anyway i don't even remember what we were talking about we were talking about fear and how i fear get okay you literally so have to I stop start, yourself and yeah. say amen what are you scared of it's stupid you feel so stupid like yeah. i i feel so uncomfortable and i'm like teresa what are you scared of okay whatever the situation is, you know, say, say, um, I'm supposed to be doing a podcast and I'm like getting all this anxiety and I'm like, okay, what's the fear? The fear is that I'm going to say something to look stupid and that somebody's going to make fun of me and that I'm going to be called an idiot. And that, you know, these are all the fears. Mm -hmm. Those are the fears behind it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what if somebody does like you have to know your value? That's yeah. the problem. That's your problem Yeah, is you have to know your value and you have to love yourself to, to the point where you trust and respect yourself so much that you're not going to make yourself feel that ickiness. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's really like a conscious torp. It is very self-inflicted. Yeah. And once you learn that, then it's easier to retrain your brain. Once you realize that you are in control of a hundred percent of your thoughts and feelings. You just have to learn how to control them in a healthy way, you know, in yeah. a way that's helpful. Totally. I've been trying to just like learn how to let go of control. Letting go like, is the hardest part. Yeah. I, if I'm going to smoke weed, I'm just going to smoke weed. I'm going to get high. I did this. I took the substance. Just like let it, let it flow. The you know, more you worry it about it, the more you're going to freak out. I'm a worrier. Yeah. I have a so worrier is part. Do you know my... that stress causes so much damage like actual damage to the brain like it stress sends, does yeah like oh, whenever yeah. you get stressed you know it's like it it like hyper hyper fires all of your neurons that are just like yeah. and it's just like straight chaos you know survival mode and totally. that 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 mode is not like that is not good for your well-being yeah it's like revving your engine too high exactly for a long for period of time yeah and my husband is 24 7 out. stressed he's always stressed so he's yeah. always got this wow. <laughs> just <laughs> Just angry all the time. Always. And it's just like, Jeez. He, and he tries so hard, but like he doesn't feel. So he tries to learn everything. Yeah. He learns what it looks like to feel sad so oh. that he can huh. mimic that because he wants to give me everything that he can. And he is so fucking smart, but it's just 
a matter of getting him to love himself and open up to feeling because he was damaged as a very, very, very young boy. So Hmm. like he's been a wall since he was little and there was a time that he let me in, but I did hurt him. So that's understandable. Mm. That's what happens with drugs involved. There's just a lot of, you know, yeah, that's how I was when I, from my divorce, I, you know, I, I got really, I felt very betrayed and I was very betrayed. And so with my new relationship with my girlfriend, I've had to really work on not making decisions uh, inside of the relationship mm-hmm. out of fear. Yes, yes. Like I'm like, I'll, yes. I'll talk to my therapist or my life coach and I'll be like, dude, I I don't think I want to continue in this relationship or I just, I feel scared. I'm feeling really scared because I don't know if I can trust her. I don't know if she's going to cheat on me. Like it's going to happen again. Happened under my fucking nose last time. What happened? Can I just, I mean like, I know oh, that yeah, you probably already fine. told a story. Now I'm going to go like listen to every single one of your podcasts. But... <laughs> Um, just did she have an affair on you or what, yes, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So she, we okay. were married oh for like seven years yeah. at the time or six and a half. And she like, we were, it was going pretty badly. Like things yeah. were, we were kind of getting, getting distant. Kind of toxic. You know, they call it the seven year itch. Yep. But it was also like on the podcast, I've talked a lot about like her, uh, her having the affair, but I haven't talked a lot about like what was going on with me. And like, like there where was, were you? there was a lot of like emotional cheating happening on my end. Like yeah. I would, I would be texting other women for that emotional connection. Yeah. That for that emotional connection. Uh, yep. Exactly. Yep. And so I take full responsibility for that. I was also, like I mentioned before, I was very unable to, uh, say what I wanted. Right. Why so do you entire... feel like you were unable to say, would she like react in a certain way or yeah. were you just scared to share? Your she feelings? just, she was very much, she wanted to have things her way. She was very controlling would she get as defensive? well. Defensive. Yeah. She would get defensive. Yeah. She was very dominant. She liked things to be a certain way. She was right. very, and I was very submissive. Right. That's very, very codependent. And yeah. Unhealthy. Extremely. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I didn't know that I right. got married right I didn't out of either. my mission. She was right off of her mission. Right. We were just babies. Yep. We're just trying to figure it out. And it eventually turned into like, we were just doing everything for her, for her career, what would make her happy, even down to like dinner and drinks we'd get at the, uh, at the movie theater. So you were giving everything to to her and nothing to yourself. I I no longer had an identity. Yeah. And so naturally I was like seeking for some kind of connection. And then you just get miserable and depressed and cause you're not in alignment with who you want to be. And she was seeking for connection too. And she saw it with this other guy and I sought it from the internet and then eventually we got divorced. And so now with, with that experience and behind me, I'm trying to remember like, I can't lose myself in this relationship. That is the most important thing throughout your entire life. Yeah. Because even knowing that being back home yesterday was a breakdown for me. Like I literally had a breakdown because having her here for three weeks and being back home with my kids, I forgot who I am already. Like, it's a daily struggle. Like, I have to do dailies every day in order to remind myself how important I am. You know, where yeah. I do gratitude lists, where I tell myself I love you for two minutes in the mirror. Like, things that are uncomfortable. Cool. Yeah. I, we had to in treatment. We yeah. had to. And it didn't work in treatment. I didn't love myself in treatment. But I had to start doing it in St. George because when you actually do that and you connect with your soul, like it's a powerful thing. Like I, I just started bawling because for the first time I like saw into my 
soul kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like I saw deeper in my eyes. It was, it was interesting. It was a cool I think experience. That that's what mushrooms can kind of do. Yep. They help you to dive back into your trauma and to, and to see it well, and to see yourself. really matter. The things that yeah, really matter. It really helps you, helps you to see yourself from a different perspective yep. with more compassion. Yep. But it can be hard when you have trauma that you're not ready to experience again yeah. because mushrooms don't really give you like emotional bravery they kind of just like throw you in there. And- so that's the, that's the thing that Brady did down there is with the different, the different medicines. One of them that he gave you was, ha, did help with the bravery mm. and then the mushrooms. And then he would give you like a half a tab of LSD. Wow. Well, no, we didn't do the mushrooms. We only did that. So is what he would do is he would do like an MDMA. And then an hour later when that starts kicking in and you feel talkative, Mm-hmm. He gives you the LSD because that opens up your brain a little bit more to like. Wow. I've never heard of that. Uh, I've heard of the combination, but I haven't heard of it in that order. So. Um, of doing it that way. Because of my drug use, though, like I didn't even feel the effects of the MDMA because that's like a very minor, minor amphetamine almost kind of. Mm. I mean, a party drug, whatever. <clears throat> But I didn't feel any effects of that. The only thing I did feel effects of that day was the LSD. But have you ever heard of Reiki? It's like an energy work. I've heard of it. So I don't so, know much about it. Though. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a it's not like a religion by any means. Um, people use it as a spirituality, but it's just an energy work that has been around since like 1600s, and it was in Japan for a long time by itself. But then now it's over here. Anyways, he's he's a Reiki master, and um, so living he, in Saint George, living in Saint George, <laughs> he's actually very very. They were very LDS. Like she was. Wow. She was a secretary for one of the higher ups in the president in the oh oh yeah okay uh, not the quorum of the seventy but higher up the, the twelve apostles is it, is it she was in like the she was one of the secretaries relief for, society presidency or something no she was she worked in the church buildings oh, okay. as one of their secretaries gotcha and anyway and then um, he worked as a tech in the church building for years and years and years mm-hmm. and her friend left the church and so she started reading this book of how to rescue your friend mm-hmm. and found out that the church was bogus like she started doing research and into hmm. it and found all of this stuff anyway they left the church yeah and then they went through this spiritual like what do we do now so <laughs> are they gonna kill each other with those cats <laughs> anyway it's fine they, they can stay there and fight So he's a Reiki master down in Southern Utah. Well, he's so, just dosing so they people. Just, so they just, uh, so he was doing the journeys and stuff, but they have had some marital issues too, trying to figure everything out spiritually. And, and they sort of, you know, I went down there to get away from my codependent relationship and basically mm. introduced them to their codependent relationship because everything that I was saying about my relationship was going on with them. Oh, they were like... So it kind of like mirror. opened up a hole, which is, which is what they, they needed to do anyways, but that's cool. Yeah, that it was like just, a mutually educational yeah, experience. It didn't end on very good terms with the mom. Oh, so that's, what's really, really sad is because everything else was so perfect, mm-hmm. but there was jealousy issues there between because me and her husband and me and her oldest daughter were very, very, very close emotion uh, spiritually. Mm. And he was the first person that I have ever ever interacted with in my life that was a male that never made a sexual advance towards me so it was like it was a powerful relationship and i and i was like needing 
I, I want so bad just to have a male relationship with somebody that doesn't ever try anything huh. sexual. You know what I mean? Because it's so hard it, being a woman. No, no, no. Never in the last 41 years have I respected my body enough to say, um, I'm not going to put myself in those types of situations. Like I probably accidentally put myself in many of those situations because that's what I felt all I had to offer was my body mm. up until like last year. So that you know? was your value in your mind. That was my value. That was the only value I had. So hmm. from a young age, then yeah, I used my body. that was the thing that you were getting attention for. That was the that only was the thing, thing that I could get attention from for men. men from men. Yep. God, so my, my goal is still to like find male relationships, but it does affect my husband a lot because he can't understand it yet. And I'm like, when you realize, when you tap into your spirituality for the first time, sexuality is nothing it's like it's not even a feeling that i desire anymore because mm -hmm. i want this other stronger feeling the emotional you know like the whatever you're going to take with you to this next world you know your spirit your soul that those are the things that i needed to like get in touch with yeah spiritually and there's so it goes so deep that there's just so much crazy things you can do really but yeah it's just it's just a matter of finding out what works for me Totally. To keep me sober. Man, sometimes, I, like the way that you're talking about it, I, I really like. I feel like it's very balanced, like the spirituality piece. I think that some people, especially in Oregon, if I'm honest, get like so into it mm -hmm. that they just get like this new age yeah, the new, hippie. Yeah. They just go like, they're space cadets. Where right. I don't even, even like telling anymore. people that I read cards and have crystals and stuff like that because it's become such a weird obsession. You know, it's like, it's like, a, it's like, Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. It just becomes so consuming. Yes. And it can be And it's all just about what's the feeling, you know? It's not yeah. about all of these things that you're using. It's about the feelings inside. Spirituality is 100% feeling, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, you can have things outside to like help help you get that feeling, but people don't understand the feeling is what they're searching for. Mm -hmm. And it's not that hard to find, but you have to yeah. be able to love yourself, really. So true. It's a, it, like we said at the beginning, it's simple, but it's so It's simple, hard. but it's the hardest thing ever. I don't know why that it's is. It's such a simple concept, but to put it into action, it's yeah. like every single day. You have to work I on like it how you would just day. like look into the mirror and like just say I love you for two minutes yeah. straight. Sometimes that's that's what a therapist has been saying to, I mean, this is kind of a different or example. Affirmations yeah, or affirmations or whatever, but it's easier for me just to say, I love you because it's hard for me to come up with that many things that I love about myself. Right. At first I couldn't come up with any, like we had to write a list down of, of what we hated about ourselves in treat in treatment. And mm -hmm. then we wrote a list about what we loved about ourselves. And the list about what we hated was just so long, <laughs> you know, and the things that we loved was like three, you yeah. know, and that was like hard. And then we had to stand, we had to sit in front of a mirror and each statement that we said to ourselves, we had to say, Teresa, I hate your thighs. Teresa, I hate your personality, you know, and just like be rude. And then hmm. you had to like, and then when they did the things that you loved, each person in there went around the room and said something about they loved, that they loved about us. That's cool. And then we would have to say that about ourselves, you know, because really like in treatment or any, any type of treatment, you have you have to love, you have to find somebody to be around that will love you until you love you. You know what I mean? Like you have yeah. to find somebody that sees the worth in you 
until you can see it because I Especially didn't see any didn't worth in me. Especially when you didn't have that as a kid. Never. From your yeah. parents and stuff. When you don't know what you're missing, you can't change anything. Yeah. You know? True. And we all did. My, my, my parents did the best that they knew how. I did the best that I knew how with my children. But if you don't know better, you can't do better. And it's hard to sometimes get there. Like when you finally yes. do figure out what you're missing. Like I, I had this breakthrough the in therapy done. where I was like, what I'm missing, what I want from Taylor, my partner, is mm-hmm. quality time. That's what I'm missing. That's your love language. Yes. And then our therapist was like, okay, so then how do you get it? I was like, I don't know. Like that's what I'm hiring. Do you, you go? Do you go set up dates or anything? Well, what she told us to do, yes, I do. I, I set up dates and stuff. Um, but the, the issue is that we work together and we live together and our so desks like are in the same together room, anyways. always together. But so whenever we're together, it's always about work. We yeah, talk about work quality. It's we'll never watch Netflix together, but we're just like editing on our computers, not really spending quality time together, air yeah, quotes. Not so then our therapist, soul to soul. exactly. So then our therapist was like, you know what you should do is like set a time. And Taylor asked me, she's like, just tell me a time when you don't want me to do work in the house anymore. And I was like, that's so lame. That's so yeah. non-sexy. That's like no. not. But like my point in the, the relation I'm making. She has to make a. She has to make a. a, a you got to start somewhere. She has to make an effort too. Yeah, but you, yes. And you got to start somewhere. Like, well, you're, I see like what you're how you just like, you just would look in the mirror and say, I love you. Yes. And in therapy or in rehab and treatment, it didn't. It, you didn't feel it. Um, but. For Taylor, that would probably work. And at first, I was really resistant to it. I was like, I'm not going to give you a time. I'm not going to babysit you. I just want you to want to be with me and hang out. Um, But yeah, you just got to start somewhere. Yeah. And we haven't done it yet, but I'm I am more open. Do you feel that she doesn't want to? No, she does. She's just very focused on her her career. This is what I learned. Okay, I I have so many things going on in my life all the time. With five kids. With five kids. (laughs) But the things that are in most that are most important to me, I make time for. Do you mm. notice? You know what I mean? Like I have a list of things that I need to do. Like yeah. you know, I need to call this place and do this thing and that thing. But if it's important to me, I'll make sure I do it. So with Darren, the last several nights, like I've been busy with you know Danny or redoing my room or whatever. So I haven't really yeah. spent any time with him. Right. So tonight I said, I was like, I know we don't have any money to really go out or do anything, but like, do you want to just set up the room tomorrow night? We can like watch a, like, we don't even get to watch a movie together. You know, we just never yeah. get time together. And just saying tonight at seven 30, we're going in the room and locking the door and we're just going to hang out there tonight. You know, that shows him, I'm sorry that I haven't really been able to spend much time with you lately, yeah. but I, it's not because I don't want to, it's because I haven't had time for myself right. either. You know, yeah, you have to so, set the priority. Yeah. So I said, I'm sorry, I didn't get to spend much yeah. time with you tonight. Like tomorrow we're going to spend the, day, the night together, you know, right. and you just, just showing, just her showing that she cares enough to say, set a time, you know, like that's true. That's, that's her saying, that's like, that's her giving me, a little bit. Like help know? me that by she, doing this, this, this is how it would work for me to yes, give you what you need. Yes. Yeah. God, that's, that's a good her point. Option. It's a good point. I didn't even think about it that way. I mean, and, and that's that's Aww. a problem. Is it's, is our egos trying to protect us? We don't want we don't want them to come back and say I don't want to spend time with you. So we're just gonna try and like for her, for for somebody that has control issues, like for me, if it was me, that's my way of giving as much as I can give. That's yeah. like that's that's her capacity. Well, right my now. problem is that I just I I want her to give it to me in the way that I want. Which is unrealistic. You're, you're wanting, you're, you have 
expectations. I have an expectation. Expectations going into are it. if you have expectations, you will always be disappointed. Yeah, and because you can't. You that can't, is so true. You can't act like you are. You this because my husband does this to me. You can't expect her to know how you want to be addressed or yeah. how you want something done, mm-hmm. and then resent her for not knowing. Yep. That's all yeah, you have to do is say. I feel so called out right now. Okay, that's what I do. I do. You can ask yeah, anybody. No, I'm so blunt. Like I, this is why but I'm in therapy. This is help. why I do the podcast. Yeah, like these are things that can help relationships. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just a matter of not worrying about yourself and worrying yeah. about the other person. When I stopped worrying about all of the things that I wasn't getting, and I started giving those to Darren, it makes a huge difference. Stop worrying about what you're not getting, and all of those things that you want her to give to you, you give to her. Yeah. And it shows her. It's good advice. He's given this to me. Like he cares about me. Look at all this stuff he's doing for me. And I'm not even giving him anything. Yeah. And she naturally will want to give to you because of what you're giving to her. Because she's a great person. That's great advice. Thanks for that. That was so helpful. I, I am the new mother, modern day Mother Teresa. So, you know. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, Teresa, I probably should end this pretty soon. I have to go pick up my... Oh, it's only been like two hours. Oh, no, no. What time did we start? Oh, yeah. It's almost been it's two It's been hours. almost two hours, yeah. And and I'm a talker. I'm sorry. I no, should I have warned it. you this beforehand. Like, I could talk for hours. Well, I'm a, I'm a talker, too. I have a podcast. I love conversations. <laughs> if you ever want me to come back on and do another podcast, I will. I'm glad you had a good experience. Like I'm going to get my own in one of these days. Yeah, it's, it's great. You can just express all your opinions and nobody can say anything back to you. Right. I just love hearing people's <laughs> stories, you know? Like, I love hearing where people have been because everybody's story is so different and, and the suffering that people go through in their life is so much more valuable than any book smarts or therapy or anything like that. Actual experiences. Yeah. Like going to treatment and having therapists that weren't addicts. It was really difficult because it's like, you don't really know what it's like, you know, it's nice to talk to somebody who's like, who's been through the shit. Yeah. Like you're just a normal a woman very normal but if you get into my shit you know like i have there is so much so much shit that nobody should have to go through and i mean that in the best possible way yeah. like you're normal you're approachable yeah. like you're not this uh Toidy, intimidating yeah. woman yes. with like all these uh, i don't know no. you're just like i'm in your house we're just sitting on yep. in your living room i'm missing my teeth i don't have I don't have things on the wall. I got piles in my bedroom and I don't fucking care. Exactly. Neither do I. Listen to this. This is the best lesson that I learned. The first treatment that I went to and it was probably like four days after I got there. Mm -hmm. And there was this guy named Zach. And every time somebody did or said something, I would be like, um, I would, to me, I would be so worried about what they were saying or thinking or doing about me, you know? Yeah. And so it was his graduation and we would go around and we would all say something that we were proud of them for or whatever. And they would say something back to us that they, you know, like a word of advice or whatever. Yeah. And he says, comes back to me and he says, Teresa, if you learn one thing in treatment, it's to not give a fuck what other people think about you. And I was like, that's easier said than done. He was like, you have to learn how to not give a fuck mm-hmm. because the more you care about what other people think about you, the less you care about what you think about you, you know? Mm. And a lot of times it's us judging ourselves because we don't want somebody else to judge us, judge us. Yeah. When, Nobody's even going to think the same things that we are thinking they're going to think. Nobody cares about us that much to be like ridiculing your t-shirt or what color socks you're wearing or your hair like that. You know, everybody, it's so interesting that 
different version of me exists in everybody's mind. Like a different. Exactly. Like you wonder. You have, you have a version of you, of me. Yeah. That exists my version in your, of you was so off, like <laughs> way off. And the version of me that exists in like my parents' yeah. heads is different yeah. versus my girlfriend and my brother. So there's like a different version think. of me that yeah. exists. So like, why do I care? Yep. About what anybody else thinks, and it's none Just of none of them the are what exists none of them head. are what you probably want them to be. You know what I mean? Well, probably not one hundred percent. Yeah, but or or what you would think about yourself. It's eye opening to ask them like, what is? How do you perceive me? And you know what? It's always good things, but yet if we were to say that about ourselves, it would always be negative things. So you true. Know? Yeah, I've started I, I to turn. What the, people would say? I've started to flip the script and be like, oh, I'm so worried about what I think, what they think of me. But then I've started to flip it and say, yep. what do I think of them? Or what do I think of me? Yeah, but just like it helps me to not have so much anxiety about being myself in public. Okay. okay. Because I'm I'm less yeah. worried about other people's opinions and more yeah. worried about mine, of yeah. myself and of other people. So my my oldest son has severe social anxiety. Like he has a hard time going into Walmart by himself. You know, like he does not like to go wow. out anywhere. Which it's gotten it's gotten a lot better, but the more we like talk about it and stuff the more we realize it's all just fear about what other people think you know like what why are you scared to go into walmart well because what if i go in there and i have a panic attack okay what if you do everybody's having a panic attack in there exactly right now it's for real it's a shit show like like what if you do have a panic attack taryn's right next to you then you guys walk out you know like it's always worst case scenario worst case scenario it's never going to happen but even if it did happen you could get through it like there's a solution you know, there's totally. a way to get through it. I saw this TikTok the other day that said, here's a way to get over your social anxiety. Rather than you walking around feeling like everybody's looking at me, what are they thinking? Uh, and that maybe I look weird. Imagine everybody else around you is having a panic attack and they're wondering mm-hmm. what I think of them. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's just like it's a true. simple perspective right. shift that can change everything. Perspective is so important because, because, I mean, literally just this last year, I realized that me and my husband don't even speak the same language. Like the things that I'm saying to him when he hears it are not what I'm saying to him. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like he'll switch things around or like, you know, it's just, it's all perception. And so I have to literally say, what was your intention behind that? Because I'm not sure exactly what you're trying to get at. Or try the reflective listening thing where you literally just repeat what the person said. Yes, we have to do that. We do. We, We really do because it's always, it's what he hears. Okay. So say I say, I would say something like, Oh, did, is the dishwasher clean? He hears, why didn't you empty the dishwasher? Mm. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a, I, I do that all the time. A constant <laughs> insult. Like I'm trying to put him down always when I'm not, I'm just saying, yeah. is it clean so I can empty it? You know, mm-hmm. but he, that's a good yeah. example. I really relate to that. I feel like I, I'm really, oof, I change what the person said completely. Because I'm so sorry to everybody who I've ever done that to, especially you know who I'm talking about, Taylor. <laughs> I do that all the time in relationships. I'm here to help you out, Taylor. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> girls got girls back. <laughs> yeah. It's just all a big misunderstanding. That's all yeah. it is. It's just everybody's a misunderstanding. So Nobody true. wants to hurt anybody. Nobody wants to be miserable. Yeah. It's just finding that person that you're compatible with and that, that wants to work on all of it with you, yeah. that you connect with so deeply that you can't imagine yourself without that person. Yeah, and that communication style is is pretty big. Communication, respect, and trust are the most important things. And really, truly, we don't have any of those in my marriage. Like, really, truly. We've, we've ruined them all. But wow. 
I'm, I'm determined to build it back up. That's so awesome. You know, I'm not going to give up on my family and like ruin my family and my grandkids and all that. Like, I know he's capable of it. I just yeah. got to show him that I love him enough and not, I, I'm mean to him. You know, right. we've just become mean to each other. Everything's like, we feel so judged by each other. Mm. Every time he says something to me, I feel judged. Mm. Every time I say something to him, he's, he feels judged. We don't know how to just stop all of it and just love each other. Man, I it's think it's just hard. I think that just being vulnerable, like you're incredibly vulnerable, especially on this podcast, I can tell. And I think that, like what you're saying before, just being honest about your feelings, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be very disarming to the other person. Like you're, I'm just scared or I'm just sad or I just miss you. When people realize that the only reason why they're being a jerk is because they're a frightened little child. It's hard to get mad at them. That is how I finally had to start being nice to myself is I had, I put pictures of myself as a baby up everywhere in my room. Okay. Mm. And I had to think about my innocence getting stolen as a child. You know, at some point in time Mm -hmm. I was told that I didn't matter. And so I had to go back and like, Every time I would say something mean to myself, I would picture myself as a child and I would say, Teresa, you're this and this and this. And it it hurt too bad to do that to my child, you know, in my imagination. Right, right. And so that's how I slowly started being a little bit nicer to myself. Mm, That's cool. You know, but you have to give yourself grace. You can't expect yourself to be perfect because nobody's I love how simple it is too. Like the way that you do it. Just put a picture of you as a baby up on your wall. Tell yourself in the mirror that you love yourself for two minutes. I put sticky notes up that said things that I wanted to do that were fun, dancing, genuine relationships, music. Like I just had to find the things that made me have that happy feeling because I was so depressed. Something that gave me a happy feeling so that I would put it up so that every time I'd see that, I'd just at least have a little happy feeling every once in a while. Something. Like this this was me crawling out of my own shit doing something about it because I had no money for therapy, no money for this, no money for that. Like mm. everything costs money, but yet people just want to get better. Like I want to help people get better without having to freaking pay out the ass for it. You know, everybody yeah, and this just podcast is free. Yes. Listen to this podcast. Just giving a story, <laughs> telling a story. And exactly. I don't know. We're not doctors, but you know, don't we're do, smarter than doctors. Don't when do it comes LSD to drug and, <laughs> and MDMA without, uh, Doctor's approval. Doctor supervision and approval. Without Teresa as your journey. Your <laughs> journey. Right. <laughs> well, I appreciate your vulnerability uh, and your bravery. Thanks for, uh, you know, letting me come on here and taking a chance. Yeah, I'm glad that you, uh, like, answered my I ad. I don't even know why. I don't even know why I did. I, I was like, why did you do that for, Teresa? I'm glad you didn't cancel. <laughs> this is great. I knew that if I did, it was just my ego trying to protect myself because yeah. I was worried about what other people would think, so... Yeah, totally. Nothing better than just bearing my soul. That's all you can do. Yeah. Is helping people, I'm sure. I hope so. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to show your support, you can share it with a friend or you can leave a review on iTunes, which helps this podcast's rating, which allows it to be heard and discovered by more people. You can also subscribe and leave donations at this podcast's support page, which is at anchor.fm slash ambitious podcast slash support. And all of that is in this episode's show notes. And again, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you listening and for showing your support.